Thank you very much, Neville. I'm not taking this week off, but next week off to recover. Um, so it's wonderful to see you all out. And I'm sure, uh, like a colleague of mine who's coming back to work after a year's maternity leave, you have a combination of the smiley, sweaty, and pukey emojis as you consider uh, new changes in your life with university and what they, they may bring. So if you turn to Psalm chapter 1, we'll read the psalm, and we're focusing on verses 2 and 3 mainly uh, this week and, and next week. So Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not on the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So tonight we're going to see what the righteous person, man or woman, does and what he or she delights in. Now, David Farrell, who opened up the series last week, his delight is very much in his garden. And whenever I'm over with him, I don't think he's here tonight, no, he isn't, um, he will always get me to go out to his garden and he'll show off some new arrangement or feature that he's done in his Japanese rockery or show me some other cute bonsai tree that he's managed to uh, source from dear knows where. Um, I, I recall the time he went to the lengths of organizing events for a number of the young men of the church under pretenses of a spiritual get-together, but it was actually so we could help him move some heavy rocks and stones uh, into more positions in his garden. Now, my delight, however, is not in gardening. Um, I didn't grow up with a garden, and whenever we did have a garden, uh, sort of um, uh, when it was from the early 20s, it just became an overgrown jungle, and to everyone's relief, it was rapidly stoned over. However, my lack of engagement with gardening holds no less relevant lessons for tonight than David's approach to it, um, albeit there are very good examples of what happens when you just leave things uh, kind of like a laissez-faire approach. And I warn you uh, that some gardeners and horticulturists may find the following images distressing. So while you have that trigger warning, I'll grab the clickeroo, which I've forgotten. So um, if you come to my front door, you'll find this nice plant pot. It was given to me just over three years ago. And the plant, as you can see, has long since died, probably after a couple of months. And it's been replaced with some sort of thorny weed type thing, which is the first thing that greets visitors to my house. I've actually long ago since forgotten about that, and I actually still haven't managed just to sort of root the thing up. Now, if you go around the side, um, there was a steep bank that I had pestered the builders to, to do the planting that they were meant to do, and they did get round to it. But again, a number of years later, there's now an untamed jungle. Many of the original plants are actually still growing, but they're choked over by these weeds, so that it's kind of hard to tell plant from weed, and I tend to go around the other side of the house rather than getting my uh, sort of ankles um, torn to shreds. Now, this is hopefully perhaps the least shocking bit, but I do have something of a lawn out the back, although even then I've outsourced this to my friendly neighborhood gardener to cut and tend. I've done absolutely nothing with it whatsoever, and I'm sure those kind of light patches are probably indicative of some horrendous disease that will uh, cause problems in a few years' time. It's been used a couple of times when some people are around, but I have absolutely no imagination, creativity, zest, impetus, or desire to do anything else with it. I've just let it be as it is. 
Now, we will come back to my garden in a while. This psalm tells us about a man or woman being like a tree, a tree that is planted in an advantageous sitting beside rivers of water and does lots of tree-like things like barefoot and have non-withering leaves. And this series that we're doing um, on like a tree is actually completely based on the fact that Christians are the Lord's planting, his supernatural planting. Christians aren't people who have been born into a certain religion or culture or hold some you know, strange beliefs dear or have committed themselves to living good lives, but they are people who have experienced God's grace, his love, in being rescued from a thorny weed-like existence because of what Jesus Christ has done, okay? So you may not be a Christian here, and that's fine, you've still lots of stuff, uh, I hope you get out of this, but if you are a Christian, remember that this is all to do because the Lord has planted us. He is the one who's actually given us these roots. But these roots need strong uh, encouragement and nourishment if they're going to let the tree thrive. And this was so important to many writers of the Bible. Isaiah and Jeremiah talk about how God's people, even when they'd messed up completely as a nation and experienced exile, they would take root downwards and they would bear fruit upwards. The one command that the Lord repeats in Genesis early chapters is be fruitful and multiply. He repeats it again when you know, God's people have messed up and, and, and the whole world is messed up, is flooded. When Noah is rescued, it's be fruitful and multiply. And so the Lord is really interested in us getting right roots so that we can bear fruit. So not only do we want to give you biblical knowledge about how God wants us to grow and be deeply anchored in his word, but we also want to try and stimulate a delight and a desire to put some of this stuff into practice on a thirsty morning, whether you're at home, work, or school. We're going to look at examples from Exodus and 1 Corinthians and other books about, if you like, some of the gardening that we can do in our lives, not just sort of outsourcing our spiritual life to, you know, speakers in the church or small groups or whatever, but actually taking control ourselves with God's power so that we can actually aim at a goal, the goal that he has for our lives. So let's look at verse 2 and 3 again. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, consider this tree as representing Bob. Bob's a young Christian. He's grown up in a local church and he confessed Christ at a young age. He's about to go into his first year at university and he's a good interest in the knowledge of the Bible. He is able to articulate what he believes in a whole range of issues, whether it's believer's baptism or how he thinks the end times will play out or God's sovereignty, man's responsibility or, you know, various things in Christian ethics. He seems to have really um, got a good grasp of that. He's got his theology right. um, And he's also interested in defending the faith. And he's able to make connections with what he reads in the Bible, with what he sees in the media, what people are telling him at school and university, and what people tweet about on X, formerly known as Twitter. He enjoys listening to the Crescent Equip podcast and watching debates between prominent evangelical scholars and atheists on YouTube. He's also seen some changes in his life due to his faith. He wants to work hard and to overcome some of his natural laziness, and he was encouraged to do this by his grandmother, who's a Christian. 
who tells him to always be abounding in the work of the Lord, and she prays for him every day. Outwardly, his life appears pure and wholesome. He wants to get more involved in the local church. He's been on a mission team. He wants to get involved in the CU and to reach out and to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the tree of Bob's life, we can see that there's some really important things that have been put into place. His kind of theology, what he believes about the Bible is you know, pretty correct. His worldview, how he kind of connects all this together, he's beginning to take the steps to go, okay, this is what the Bible says. This is what other people say. How does this match up? Am I going to trust God or somebody else? Certainly, he wants to see changes in his life. He wants to live and submit to the Bible's authority. And he wants to get involved in a local church. And these are the types of things that, you know, are very commendable. I think these are the kind of things that many of us want to aim for as Christians. But my question to you is, how do we know that Bob is rooted in God's law? How do we know that he's meditating on it and that he's actually an example of this person in Psalm 1? Can we just go on the details of the little vignette that I've described above? What might give us or Bob a little bit more certainty that actually he is rooted in God's word? Now, I don't want to cast any concern that, you know, if you fit into the scenario, and it's pretty generic, that, you know, I'm concerned about whether you're a Christian or not. But I do want, at this stage, to give a word of warning, because if we don't feel the thorniness of this, we'll just go to sleep on a Sunday night and, and go our ways. And that's not what the Lord wants in this psalm. This psalm is not just a nice picture of what some religious people be. It is God's desire for every Christian to be growing and flourishing. And what is that warning? Well, the Lord Jesus sounded a warning in Matthew 15. He said that every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Is this tree, this bob, this planting planted by the Father? I mean, Bob almost certainly is a great fellow, good Christian, but I'd like a little bit more certainty, a little bit more confidence that Bob, as we sang here, is standing actually on God's promises because we actually don't know. We don't know what is going to happen to this tree. And it's interesting that even though these things Bob has got in place, and we would all agree that these are good, and you know, yep, Bob seems to be a good Christian, they're also exactly the same things that characterized the most virulent enemies of our Lord Jesus, the Pharisees. They knew the Bible from memory. Their worldview, they were so concerned to get it right, they'd done all these laws and what-ifs, helping people to live in ways that they felt helped them to obey God's law. Outwardly, they appeared to be righteous and were very fastidious, very careful in how they lived. And they were very careful to protect God's community. God's community, you just didn't come in by saying you're a good person. You had to show by your life that you were... Um, living according to God's law, and they excluded many people from that. So what differentiates Bob and a Pharisee? What is the difference? Well, the difference, of course, is what is the root system from which they were being fed? You see, with the Pharisees, it's all just surface stuff. And the Lord Jesus was able to throw up harsh truths about, well, actually, you said this, but this is what you practice. He showed how they were self-centered. 
double-minded, self-serving, and how they completely destroyed God's character and, and what that meant to people by how they lived. They were not plantings of God the Father. And so even though they looked like a, a strong tree, in reality, they were firewood that was going to be burnt up. Ironically, their great profession for the law was not matched by their adherence to its spirit or even its giver. So any of us here in the church as professing Christians could, could rattle around these four things. You know, we can talk a good talk, we can get engaged with the church, we can do stuff, you know, we can even be listening to podcasts and, you know, outwardly be fine. But we need to ask ourselves, what are we actually anchored and rooted into? Have we become a little bit detached from the roots as Christians and we're actually, having started with God, now doing things in our own strength? Yes, the Pharisees were an extreme case, but the challenge for us and for many of you who are entering into essentially young adulthood is, am I rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is the growth that I'm seeing merely just human development, uh, merely just social maturity? Because if Bob doesn't make sure that God's word is constantly informing whatever he believes about him, his theological system, his doctrine, if he isn't actually willing to let that at times be questioned, to listen to others and their viewpoints and to say, well, why have you come to that viewpoint and what does the Bible actually say and is this consistent with God's character? If he doesn't do that, strange things can happen. He can end up going down various theological systems, and there, there, there are many. Um, some of them, are, I think, are quite good approximations of what the Bible teaches. Others maybe overemphasize or underemphasize certain aspects. Whatever you may hold, and I'm aware there's going to be a variety of opinions, if you find yourself coming to like a bizarre interpretation of Scripture or something that seems to unbalance what you're doing, well, that's really bad, and almost branches of the tree can be breaking off because you've lost connection with the root. So not only the mind bit of it, what you believe, but how you respond to God. When you read the Bible, is your first thought, what does this tell me about God's character? And do I value that? Do I actually think, here, here is a God who's holy and awesome, loving, righteous, and just, and am I willing to submit to what he says? Do you feel the power of Christ's teaching that he is divine and, and you're a branch and that actually he wants to see you grow? He wants to fill you and give you that nourishment and that you are receptive to that? Is your attitude one of trust even though you're not going to know all the answers, even though stuff is going to happen in your life that you'll never expect it and you'll think, what is God doing? We should, and Bob should always sit under Scripture's authority rather than standing above it. And that is seen when he actually sees where is all this stuff coming from? Is it coming from the root of God's word? Now, Bob's very interested in matching all this up with his worldview, and I know many of you, and, and even we have Jim going off to get advanced training in apologetics and philosophy, and that is really important, and I like those things as well. But it's so easy, isn't it, to find our faith based on philosophy and apologetics and reasoning, and maybe even our role as defending the faith, rather than Christ himself. Paul needed to remind the Colossian church, who were kind of toying with various philosophies, he said, therefore, 
As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you enjoy and appreciate God's truth because it reflects the death and resurrection of Christ and who he is, how he fulfills everything God wants for us as people, how he brings it all together, finding in him the way of the cross, God's wisdom? Or is it more about, well, yes, intellectually Christianity fits what I think I know to be true? Because if it is, you've moved from getting rooted in Christ to rooted in philosophy or human knowledge or the opinions, maybe even of very learned and godly Christian uh, men and women, but not Christ himself. What about our morality? Christian living and overcoming sin in our life is part and parcel of the Christian walk. And you only need to read your Bible. I mean, David, who wrote many of these Psalms, stumbled, he committed murder, he committed adultery, he was impetuous, and he could make some very foolish decisions. But he was a man after God's own heart, and he ultimately responded to God's offer of forgiveness and salvation and restoration. But in your efforts at what we call sanctification or living the Christian life, are you rooting that in the work of Christ on the cross and going, Lord, I cannot actually do this on my own? Or have you switched it to becoming something where actually I'm putting all these rules around God's word and becoming legalistic, exacting, uh, almost pharisaical? Is your Christian walk more about what you want people to see and what about you want to be like? rather than what God has done in you to empower you for real gospel change. And then when God's word no longer informs how we're to treat and work and live with our brothers and sisters of Christ in the church, then either it becomes a social club or it becomes a sports competition. I was having dinner with a number of people and they were talking about some of the, um, you know, the folk that had tragically lost their lives in the, the triathlon um, down south. And there are lots of people who, you know, will actually put their li lives and limbs at risk in order to compete, whether it's in the sporting arena, uh, business arena, or work. It becomes a competition. And it's not healthy competition. It's more about them needing to gain the approval of others or to prove something to themselves or whoever. That's not what God's community is like. Because if you come to church thinking, how can my needs be met? You're not rooted in Christ. If you come to church thinking, hey, I might be able to meet somebody else's needs or contribute to that, well, maybe, yes, that's an evidence of Christ working his word in your life. Because Paul told the Ephesian church that they needed to be rooted and grounded in love to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love. And so your Christianity can't be divorced from God's community so whether you're a student or whether you're more established, make sure you get involved regularly with a group of God's people, even when it's boring, even whenever I couldn't be bothered coming in tonight, even whenever you're, what you're involved in, it just seems a bit hard or the temptation to sort of spend an extra few hours cramming for an exam. Don't do that. Get involved with God's community and be prepared to be changed so that together you can understand, well, what is God doing in our lives, whether you're 18 or 80, 
this is relevant for us all. So are we examining our root system to see what is going on? This is the meditation on the law that the psalmist commands. But what might this look like in, in practice? I mean, God's word is so central that I can't emphasize enough how much we've got to be saturated in it. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, sitting and reading it for hours and end if that's not your thing. Whatever works with you, for you, go for it. When the psalmist says he meditates in God's law day and night, it's, but I think it probably was literal for him, but it's something about the whole day, the whole of your experience, some ways being informed by your identity as a Christian and by what God says about things and about what your goals are. Maybe you listen in the car on Spotify when you're out for a run. But maybe as a young person, have you ever thought about, well, what are the other ways that I can meditate on God's law? Have you thought about getting in a trusted small group or attending actually a proper Bible study? Have you thought about having a spiritual conversation with your Christian friends rather than just a bit of social banter? Have you thought if somebody was to ask you, what change has the Lord made in your life? How you might answer that succinctly and sincerely. So get involved in all of these things because they're very helpful. But again, a word of warning. We want less heat and more light when we're meeting as young Christians, especially. Don't go in wanting to sort of convert somebody to your view of predestination or premillennialism um, or, you know, believer's baptism, whatever. Don't be starting that. Think, how can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ to grow together? There's plenty of opportunities and plenty of other fora for those things to be discussed. And I just think myself, if I had just spent half the time thinking about others rather than myself or what I believed, I think I would have been a lot more effective as a Christian student. A young friend of mine uh, recently has something really awful come into his life, and he's found himself moving from a pretty nominal profession of Christianity to really reading and praying and getting back to what he actually knows is true. And it was wonderful to listen to him and to actually feel, you know, you're the real deal, you're genuine. Because one of the things that can clarify what our root system is uh, anchored to is life's hardships. The Lord Jesus talked about a um, sower who sowed seed and the seed that was tested through the scorching heat of the day if it was rooted, well, it grew and actually bore fruit. If it wasn't rooted deeply enough, it was just destroyed. And I think for my friend who's going through a really difficult time, that it is indeed the case where even though the tree is being really moved and buffeted and all the fruits disappeared and the leaves have all gone off it and he's not left with much, yet I think his roots are actually pretty strong. I think they are anchored in Christ. Now, this kind of story for me of this tree is, is also quite personal um, because when I was in my early 20s, I had no problems reading or discussing theology or Christian worldview. Um, I was active in my church and all the rest of it. I was doing the, the coffee bar evangelism at Queen's. But when I kind of stopped doing that and, you know, you move on as a student, I actually became a bit cold in my faith. Um, I wasn't reading the Bible as much. I was still going to church. I wasn't doing anything outwardly wrong, but I wasn't growing. I had no direction spiritually. I had no real... I think, connection or relationship, um, daily relationship with the Lord. 
And I realized looking back that really there was huge amounts of pride, self-sufficiency, wanting to prove others, youthful arrogance, all mixed in there. And the Lord had to let me go on my own and say, well, if you want to be unrooted from me, fine, see what happens. I don't think I was particularly happy. But what we brought me back was one Sunday morning, it was a preacher, uh, older man speaking on First Samuel. It wasn't anything he actually said, but I just, something clicked to me, and I think it's one of the few times that I think, you know, the Lord has just done something like that in my life, where I thought, yeah, I, I've just got to get back to my roots here. I've got to get back to what I was doing at the first, because I was happier. I knew I was growing. I was unsatisfied. It wasn't what he said. It was the authority with which he said it out of God's word. And now any time that I realize I'm not feeling particularly motivated in my Christian life, it's usually often I'm getting away from the roots and actually I need to get back there and actually just read God's word or just pray to him and expect him to work in my life, asking him for a desire to serve him. Now, I've spent far too long on that. That's a little diagram and point, but I think it's important to see that rootedness in God's word is not just a one-off. It's not just I've confessed Christ and that's it. It's a daily process. It's a 24-7 process of learning to be nourished by the Lord himself. So what might I do about this sort of thorny garden of mine? Well, sometimes if we've let something grow um, that is just unpleasant and a bit thorny, you just need to pull it up with the roots, okay? Um, if this is the first thing that greets people coming to my house, that's not really a good look. So what's in your life that maybe some people can see really obviously that you just need to go, like, I just need to deal with that. I might need some help, but I just need, Lord, I, I need to have this anger problem dealt with. I need to have my, um, you know, lack of sincerity or lack of openness with people really addressed because it's being a big hindrance. My wild garden experiment shows that, you know, if you don't really have a growth mindset and you just think your Christianity will just, you know, happen, well, all sorts of other things are going to be growing there. And sometimes it can be impossible to tell what is actually spiritually growing and what is just normal growth. Is your natural drive and enthusiasm for getting stuff done, is that spirit, Holy Spirit empowered? Or is it really just a desire for you to control others in the situation around you? Maybe you have a very settled and quiet spirit. Is that godly? Or is that coming more from uh, a laziness or a fear of wanting to trust God? So whenever you've got this sort of laissez-faire, let's just see what happens, approach to your Christian life, um, it can be really hard to tell what is godly and what is not. And so you'll need help and support to actually do a bit of gardening and go, where are my roots going down to? Finally, like my lawn, what are your ambitions, if any, for your Christian life? Do you actually have any goals that you've set? Do you have a hope or a vision for how God may work in your life? I'm not talking about some sort of you know, superhero story where you go and you know, convert half a country to Christ, but do you think God has rooted you in a situation and that he actually might want you to grow and be effective? Peter asked his readers, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, considering everything I've told you about the end of the world and how God is going to judge and how he's going to bring relief to those who've been persecuted, what kind of people do you want to be? So what sort of person do you want to be? I have done nothing with the potential of that, you know, back, back lawn. And, you know, God gives us an invitation 
to grow and to have some maybe wonderful things in our life, not necessarily over weeks, days, or months, but maybe over years and decades? Are you prepared to walk that long course like a tree, going through different seasons, sometimes having some stormy things, other times having chances where there's plentiful growth? Do you want to be a tree that provides shade and nourishment and support for other people? Or do you kind of want to outsource your Christian life to others and have something that ultimately is safe but a little bit boring? So let's go below ground in our Christian lives. Have a look at our root system and see are we daily tapping into Christ and his word and if it's changing us. God's word will sustain you through anything. And I don't mean that in a trite way. I know some of you have are and will suffer some horrendous things. I don't know what's going to come into my experience. But God's word can sustain us. Read it, read about it, learn it, memorize it, apply it, question it, talk about it with your friends and live it. Trust his promises when nothing else in life seems promising because he will not let you down. And as these trees stand there, some of them are what, hundreds of years old in our world. They, they've seen it all. And the Lord is rooting things in you as a Christian that will grow and last into eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is like a seed that can grow into something beautiful, something that nobody could have predicted, but yet something, Father, that you have seen in each of our lives that brings glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. As we think, Father, about how practically we can allow God's word to take root in our lives, I pray, Father, you'll help us to see the value of it, to have a desire for your law, to have a desire, Father, to be connected to Christ, our head. I pray, Father, for all uh, the people that are starting new things, new jobs, uh, new courses of study, um, that you will bless them and you will help them, Father, to keep not only the surface things of your word and living in the church and, uh, and seeking, Father, to understand how Christianity applies in their lives, but let them go deeper. Go deeper, Father, to the source of all goodness and nourishment, holiness and godliness, our Savior himself. Bless us now, Father. Keep us safe and keep us, Father, rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.